the opportunity for the body to self-heal. But it's way more, it's way deeper than that. The energy centers that sit in your spine that in Indian yoga are called chakras. That history and how it relates to Black people in particular. It's embedded on the walls, in the monuments, in the history. Comedic yoga. Then white woman put in the front of it and sold back to you is actually yours. James Brown said, say loud, I'm Black and I'm proud, right? That's the era that we're talking about. All right, peace and welcome. We have Angie Franklin today. Angie is uh, a wellness entrepreneur. She is a polymath. She wears many hats. She has many talents. And that's not just bullshit. That is, <laughs> that is real. She really is uh, amazing. And um, this is my first time speaking with her, but I frankly have learned so much from her just from looking at how she delivers her marketing, frankly. And how she's been able to really harmonize business and something that she's actually very passionate about, obviously, and doing something very tangible for the community. So she embodies all of the things that we really hold dear at Suit and Artist. And it's my distinct pleasure to welcome her to the show. Angie, thank you for joining us. I'm thrilled. I've been really excited about talking to you and just you know, hearing about your, your philosophies, hearing about what you're doing, your business, your work in general. So just really amazing stuff. And thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm honored and excited to be here, you know, and it's always great when, when some great minds and, and black folks come together to talk on these topics. So thank you for having me. For sure. For sure. So I mentioned wellness entrepreneur, but it's way more, it's way deeper than that. Right. That's, that's just a, uh, that's just kind of a label that we throw on people, right? But really, Angie is a practitioner and founder of Afro Yoga. Angie, you, you tell everybody what Afro Yoga is, but I've just <laughs> been so impressed with it. I'm talking over you already. So please just let everybody know what Afro Yoga is. Give them some background. Afro Yoga is a movement. And I've always described it like that, even from the very first day when I was just getting started, because I am a re revolutionary at heart. And... When I saw that the real issues that were going on in the wellness industry that were related to race, that were related to economics, that were related to oppressive systems, appropriation, a number of things. But really what struck me the most was the lack of representation. And when I saw that, I wanted to do something to change it. And revolutionizing something really means just to radically or fundamentally change something. And I feel like that's what I have in this industry is a disruptor, a challenger of the status quo, a person who breaks down old systems and rebuilds new ones to reflect the needs of my people. And Afro yoga burst out of just the realization that something needed to be done. And I just felt I was the person to do it. And I felt it in my spirit. And in 2017, I just started with a donation-based class in the park and like 60 black women showed up. I'm talking about grandmas, aunties, kids, <laughs> best friends. Yeah. Everybody was out there. And I think that yeah. at that moment is when I really realized like, whoa, it's not that we don't want to. It's that we haven't been invited. Is that we haven't been, you know, that a space hasn't been created for us. And it was it was curtains after that. It was a matter of just, all right, I got to keep doing this work. And now 
Afro yoga as a movement, as a global movement now, is what I feel a responsibility. I feel that I am a steward of the people and that this is work that I have to do to advance and to create opportunities because I have seen the impact that it's had on people and reclaiming their wellness, you know, and we can talk, this is a really long winded answer, but we can talk about, you know, like the health disparities that we see and, you know, the distrust that we have for the medical system and the healthcare system and reclaiming the power over our, our health and wellness and well-being is critical, mm-hmm. particularly for black folks in America. And so I feel that it's been just such a gift and an honor and a privilege to do this work that I love. And I, I'm, I'm grateful that I know that it, it has and is changing people's lives and their perception of what it means to be well and who wellness is for. So Afro yoga is, is a global movement that is revolutionizing wellness and redefining what it means for people of color and black folks. Oh, that's amazing. So you mentioned a few things that I want to get into a bit, but first, I mean, obviously there are the systemic challenges, barriers that exist for underrepresented groups, right? Black people in particular suffer an inordinate amount in that regard, right? What specifically though, given that we understand the history, right? But what specifically in the health and wellness industry what are some of those challenges? How are they manifest in that industry? And what, what were you experiencing that made you realize there needed to be something specifically for us? It goes back to like being the only in so many spaces. I was the only black person in my yoga teacher training. When I became a Lululemon ambassador, I was the only black person at the onboarding in the entire North California. Always one of the few, if not the only black teachers at a at a location where I was teaching, whether it was a college or a studio or whatever. So at some point, you look around and ask yourself, why am I the only person that looks like me in here? And I recognize that that those systems, you know, the way a studio is set up, there's multiple barriers. It could be a ge- geographic barrier, financial barrier, a culture barrier, you know, a representation barrier. There's so many things that are present there for a person to hop over all of those hurdles to be there for the healing, right? For the self-exploration, but not really be able to do it authentically because we still have to have that armor on when we walk into these spaces. Am I safe here? You know, is there microaggressions happening? Am I the only person in here? You know, so me just being in those spaces and being in the work and being in it, at some point I realized that it was an issue. and that's when I decided to do something about it. That's when I said, I got to create the space because they're not going to do it. You know, they're not, they're not going to take that responsibility on. So when I started to do it and I started to see the response, it, it validated and affirmed the fact that this was so needed for so many of us. And, you know, in the, in the healthcare industry, I mean, there's, there's just disparities around childbirth death and um, infant mortality and all those kinds of things, right? Like I have, doctor friends who are Black who are in these spaces and who tell me some of the racism that they experience as doctors, as Black doctors in these in these systems. So imagine the actual patient, you know, so there's just a lot that needs to be, we're experiencing the same things across the different systems. It doesn't matter if it's the wellness industry, the healthcare industry, 
wherever you are as a black person in America, you're going to experience some level of these things, being the only, not knowing if you're safe, nervous system always on alert, you know, and, and those things, my spiritual teacher always said, dis-ease leads to disease. So if we are always in a state of uneasiness, because we're looking over our back, we're looking, checking the space or sitting strategically in a, in a location to make sure that we can exit if something goes down, our nervous system is, is always in that fight or flight. So practices like yoga meditation allow us to discharge some of that energy and to activate the other aspects of our nervous system. Now we're talking about science you know, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. And so when we can activate the parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest and digest system, we give the opportunity for the body to self-heal. And that is why these practices are so important because they're also free. (laughs) I mean, you have access, you can hop on an app and meditate, you can get on YouTube or whatever. But even then, that representation piece is what's so important because we want to feel as human beings connected. We want to feel that that we relate to other people. So when you show up to my class and I might have a Drake song in there, you know, you feel at home. Right. Right. And so these are the other aspects that are also really important is to really feel like you belong in a space. And I think for so many of us, we have lived damn near our whole lives feeling like we don't belong in these various spaces that we occupy. So to be able to create a space where people can come and say, yes, this is it. This is, I belong here. This is my spot. It does something for people. And that alone is already a healing experience, much more the addition of, of the wellness practice itself. I love that. So you mentioned like the, the fellowship, people with the shared uh, experience, right? And acknowledge shared experience that you don't have to explain coming through the door so people are more at ease just vibing with it from from jump so that's that's beautiful actually i was looking at your material and you know yoga at least in my mind as an ignorant novice right is generally associated with india i mean it's generally associated these days with with white women but that's a different discussion altogether but it is you know associated with india right historically mm-hmm. comedic yoga yeah right Kemet referring to, you know, to Egypt or what is is now called Egypt, right? Mm-hmm. Unpack that a little bit for me and that history and how it relates to Black people in particular. Yeah, this was a huge key. And when I found out about it and, and got to know about it, I knew that it was going to change the game for me, and it did. It's not a well-known fact that Kemetic yoga predates Indian yoga. In other words, The yoga that developed out of India comes via a migration from Kemet. We have evidence of Kemetic yoga. One of the the oldest forms of historical reference when studying a culture is in their art, in their monuments. There wasn't always written books and dissertations and all that. We, we We see the reflection of what life is like in a particular place through the art. And our comedic ancestors did a, an incredible job at documenting their life, their, their stories, their beliefs, their spirituality. It's embedded in, on the walls, in the, in the monuments, in the history. It's all there. So all you got to do is open your eyes and look. And so uh, Dr. Asar Hapi and Yersera Hotep, who is from Chicago, 
you know, we're taking trips to, and we're talking about, you know, the 70s, 60s, 70s. We're talking about the era of Black power. We're talking about the era of people reclaiming their Africanness, reclaiming their Blackness and being proud of it. You know, James Brown say, say loud, I'm Black and I'm proud, right? That's the era that we're talking about. So that is sort of to give you a lens, I guess, of like the research and the development that starts to go into, oh, shit. You know, we're in Kemet and we, these are yoga postures, right? So over decades of study, travel, translation, hieroglyphics of, you know, monuments and, and art in Kemet, there becomes a realization that, oh, they've been doing Kemetic yoga for thousands of years. And so a, a modern form of the practice was developed based on those studies, which is now what we know as Kemetic yoga. And your Sarah Rahotep has something called comedic yoga skills, which is made up of what you would call geometric progression, which is just the shapes of your body. And we know that our comedic ancestors were very understanding of geometry and the power of geometry. So geometric progression, progression in the shape of your body or, you know, of the posture and the movement from one posture to the next and uh, what he calls rule of four breathing, which is honoring, acknowledging four parts of the breath, which are your inhale the pause, the exhale, and then the pause. So he practiced for 30 years before he started certifying yoga teachers, which today is unheard of. People, people get certified and then a year later, they're, they're, they feel like they're ready to teach other teachers. That's a whole other story. But there's just a lot of integrity, right? That speaks of, of integrity. And this is Dr. Hapi you're referring to? This is uh, your Sarah Rahotep. This is your Sarah who has certified over 5,000 teachers worldwide at this point, myself included. So, you know, as I got to know about it, I was like, wow, I have to get certified in this practice because Black people need to know that this is in their DNA, that this is their practice. The, the same thing that has been packaged up and, like you said, a thin white woman put in the front of it and sold back to you is actually yours. And we see this all the time, right, in, in the appropriation of things and it, the fashion and, and the clothes and all this stuff. They put somebody else on it and they sell it back to us like it wasn't ours to begin with. And so I think that being able to, to have that connection and understand the history of comedic yoga in this practice and realize that you can still practice it today. You can, you can do the same postures that were on the walls of Kemet. And when you sit in those postures, they are powerful postures. People have told me that they've had visions and all kinds of experiences doing some of these poses. It's a powerful practice and our ancestors were very scientifically driven. You know, we're into astrology and astronomy and all the things, studying nature, studying afterlife, preparing sometimes an entire life for the afterlife. So you got to imagine that that's the lens in which everything is, is created and lived. So when you are practicing these postures, there's power in there that you don't even know about. Meridians in your body that are being activated, reflexology points in your body that are being activated, you know, spinal alignment and the energy centers that sit in your spine that in Indian yoga are called chakras. We have, a, we yes. had awareness of all of this. So it's huge for the Black community specifically because it's anchoring us into our roots that we have just been so violently stripped of. So to be able to, to, to connect into something 
and to feel rooted in it, especially for so many people who are now really into wellness, really into yoga and to not just be out there floating in it, but to feel rooted in something and then to, to claim that, you know, it's, it's, it's the ancient future is what I like to call it because it it is going back and reclaiming it and living it out. And so it's huge for the black community and it's, it's been major. I've had people tell me that they've never experienced a practice that felt so natural to them. You know, like it is powerful for people to know, like, not only am I practicing this yoga, but this comes from people who look like me. It changes the game. That that's profound, obviously. Now, the flip side is, in our conversation, you, it was slipped in that you are a Lululemon ambassador, right? Correct. So one of the things I w- that really fascinated and I admire about what you have going on is that you've got this um, harmony between your business and your passions, your beliefs, convictions, right? And they're all kind of intermingled in the work you're doing. Was there any challenge for you? Was it like, how did the Lululemon thing come about? Is there ever any conflict given, you know, Lululemon is a corporation somewhat different than a lot of other corporations in some ways, but it's still part of a larger thing that we, we've both, we've already acknowledged, you know, is, is not necessarily, hasn't always been inclusive of black people. Right. right? So how did you, how did you reconcile that? Did you need to reconcile it? Did you have any thoughts or trepidations about it? Or was it like, look, this is a means to an end. They owe me reparations. I'm going to get these coins, as you would say, right? So right. how did that how did that come about? Like, tell me about that and what your your thoughts about it and, and the, you know, the experience in general. Yeah, thank you for asking that, because this is a great question and one I don't get often. All of those things, really, and I'll break it down. So uh, it started with a DM from another ambassador who was a white woman and asking me if I would be a panelist for International Women's Day, I think 2017. And I was like, hmm, because yeah, you know, all I knew about Lululemon was they had they got the $100 yoga pants, you know what I'm saying? And I got nothing <laughs> in my closet. So right. I had never even been to the store. All I knew is that's for the rich white girls. And they know that that is the narrative that's out there. And they're working hard to change that. And I'll talk more about that in a bit. But I vetted her. I reached out to people who I knew who might know her and was like, yo, is she legit? Like, is this legit? So yes, there was distrust, right? Off the top. Okay, is this just a tokenizing situation? You know, all right. So I accepted. And I wrote a poem called Black in Yoga. And I basically talked about the same things we're talking about the frustrations around not being represented in this space, the fact that people like me need to be on the walls in their store. And, you know, I talked about all those things. I talked about how now y'all are cool because, you know, you realize our money is green, that black dollars are green. I talked about those things and I used the opportunity. I said to myself, if this is, if this is them tokenizing me, I'm coming with that heat, right? Like I'm going to make my mark. So if you're going to give me a platform and a space to speak, I'm going to use it. And so I came through and uh, that poem had everybody in that room in tears, myself included. And I think it was a pivotal moment for a lot of folks. And the management leadership was taking a serious look at me at that point. Like, who the fuck is this girl that came in here and just tore the house down? I was the only black person on the panel. 
And the few black folks that were in there were Afro yoga folks who came to support me because I told them, you know, I need y'all to pull up. So what I have noticed over the time in my relationship with Lululemon is that they are willing to try new things and to fail. They have shown that they are interested and invested in change, you know, and, and that's something that I really respect. The The people that I worked with at my store specifically, what's important to know about Lululemon is that they function with a great deal of autonomy locally. So a store in Sacramento here where I'm at that I belong to as an ambassador might not be the experience you get in Memphis, Tennessee, right? So, and I know that they're working on unifying that, but the experience is very different because I've spoken to people who have not had the experience that I've had. And so I went into it thinking like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to extract all the resources, the coins, whatever that I can and put it back into myself and my community. And that's the approach that I took early on was like, you know what? Can I get some gift cards to give to my community? Can you donate some yoga mats to me that I can give away? Can you, you know, sponsor the location venue for our annual event? And they supported me. Even before I was an ambassador, they were doing those things. So I was like, okay, you know, all right. And recently, I have taken the approach that I'm going to maximize the opportunity. If y'all going to let me in here, I'm kicking down the door. to. I'm kicking down every door that I can. So I'm in there trying to model the gear. I'm in there doing racial equity and community building trainings, which I did for the entire state of leadership of California, and which is now a training that's going national. And I got paid very well for that, right? So, you know, I was able to bring on other people of color and get them paid to speak and be a part of that experience. So I have done my best to infiltrate and uh, somebody jokes with me and says that I came through in there like it was a stick up. Like, it's a stick up. I need everything you got. And that's kind of like my approach. And they know that. And I have been transparent about that. Like, yo, I am here. Yes, I love the clothes. You know, the clothes are, you know, it's the reason why they're $100 pants and they feel good. I ain't gonna lie. But they know it's beyond that. And they know that it's beyond the clothes. And they get that. And, and the people that I've had, I've had the opportunity to have as, as leadership have just been really down for the cause. And so there's folks who work from the outside in, and there's folks who work from the inside out. And I think that Lululemon is a company that has allowed me to do work from the inside out. On my terms, with my content, and my voice for my people. And so I haven't had to censor or to change the way that I am to do this work within that company. And I think that that's something that's huge for me because I'm not willing to compromise who I am. And I know that that's something that you have as well in your manifesto, that authenticity, you know, and that standing for not selling out end of the day, right? I wasn't going to get to a point where it was like, okay, I'm selling out. No, if at, at a point where I feel like it's no longer authentic or genuine, at the point where I feel like I'm being used, that's the day that I that I walk away. And I haven't felt that. It's been support. It's been love. It's been elevation. It's been coins in my bank account. It's been opportunities for other people. And I realize that I am an asset. You know, that's another thing you I read in your manifesto about knowing your worth, you know. And right now is an incredible time to be a Black woman, a person of color in any industry, because whether it's temporary or not, now is the time where you can leverage that shit. 
And and yeah. so for me, I said, okay, well, the time is now. Strike while the iron is hot, and do as much as you can with it until you can't no more. That that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of the main lessons learned is, and I, I might be inferring here, but I would assume that you would have not expected to be able to function and operate the way that you have with Lululemon, right? Without without having had the experience. Like to me, a huge takeaway that you that, that that you mentioned, right, or that you kind of intimated was don't make assumptions, don't limit yourself before you've even asked. You know, black people like and and women in general, right, often take themselves out of the running for mm-hmm. stuff because they've made assumptions about very real systemic challenges, right? Mm-hmm. They're real, but despite all of it, there are ways to navigate. And it starts with like knowing exactly who you are, right? So you already had some boundaries set. You're like, this, I'm a revolutionary. It says it on my website in writing, right? So you know what you're getting into. Exactly. You know what you're getting into. And if a business is smart, lesson learned for Lululemon is if you're smart, leverage that. Leverage the authentic relationships people have, the authentic passion they have for what they're doing mm-hmm. that is aligned with what you're doing. Cause you don't, they don't get it. Right. But they have enough. They got clearly somebody had enough sense to know that they didn't get it and that you are an asset and that your value is, is high and that you should be compensated as such. Right. So Absolutely. shout to, to Lululemon for, for, for doing that, right. And making that possible. And mm-hmm. how would your experience with Lululemon inform how you would advise other business owners, women of color, you know, people who are in traditionally underrepresented groups based on your experience, how would you advise them going forward in a way that might've been different before you had this experience with Lululemon? Wow. That's a really great question. You know, I can, that one kind of fell in my lap, but I will say that the collaborations that I have pitched or approached, I do a little bit of due diligence there. So there's a couple of things that I look at. If I'm interested in collaborating with a brand or a business, I'm going to do a little bit of research, right? So I'm looking at their website. I'm looking at the leadership of their website, who is in what position. I'm looking at their Instagram. I'm looking at, you know, just the tone, the language that they use. You know, I'm looking at all of that. And and I'm trying to see if my values align with the values of the brand. If that's the case, then 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 it's a then it's a bit of a match, right? Because you have some things in common so you can come forward with those points of connection and say, "Hey, you know, I love that you're about this and you're about that. I also and this, this, and that, I think together we can really make an impact here by uniting, you know, our, our, by putting together our forces. Another, another way to go about it is the opposite. When you see a lack thereof, you can use that as leverage and say, I've noticed this is, this is a true story. There was a hotel, a hotel in Lake Tahoe that I really dug. I just like the whole aesthetic, the vibe of it and everything. It's called the coachman. I was looking through their feed and I was like, Damn. Okay. Like they had some things to say last year. You know, everybody had things to say last year in June, but you know, they, they said some things that felt genuine, but I didn't see the representation all the way there. So I reached out and I was like, yo, love the hotel. Great vibes. I did notice, you know, that, that there's some representation lacking here and, uh, you know, I would love to collaborate, but you know, these are, this is what I'm seeing. 
And they came back and they were like, you're right. We're working on this. And like, I respected that. Like, don't come and be like, oh yeah, we're, you know, no, we recognize we have the problem. And so I have developed a relationship with them. And uh, me and my photographer went and stayed in exchange for, for creating content. There's possibilities in the future of holding a yoga retreat there. Had a great relationship with my point of contact. You know, being able to point those things out and say, hey, and here's what I can do for you, given that you that you have an interest. So when I'm looking at that place, I'm thinking, one, I would love to go to Tahoe and stay for free at a nice ass place. Right. First of all. <laughs> right. Second of all. Right how can this be a relationship that I can build that will be beneficial for my community? So being able to bring a group of women of color there for a yoga retreat would be amazing. How does, you know, being outdoors and doing different shit, how does that change also the perspective that people can have of themselves and of what's possible for, for black folks, right? Whether it's kayaking or whatever, like doing shit that's outside, hiking, doing, doing things that, we, that we're now starting to see more of ourselves in but that historically has been underrepresented. So I'm looking at what I would say mainly to business owners, if you take nothing else away from what I said, be relational and not transactional. Build relationships. If there, there's going to be things maybe that you do one off there that are just like a one and done, you know, I'd rather build a relationship than have a one night stand. That's how I think about it, right? Like build a relationship and something that can be fruitful. And so when you're thinking about somebody long-term, you're looking at it differently. You're looking at, do your values really align? You're looking at what does the future and collaboration here look like versus, you know, can I get some free yoga pants and I'll post myself in them? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a different, yeah. it's a different mindset. And I think for me, because I am about legacy and I am about longevity and, and building wealth and all of those things, I'm thinking in the long term. So that gets mm -hmm. infused into every aspect of my business, brand partnerships, et cetera, included. And I do very few. I'd rather have a small but deep bench, you know? <laughs> small but deep bench. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Talk a little bit more about that. What do you mean by small but deep bench? I don't partner with a lot of people. But the people mm -hmm. that I partner with, it would have to, like if a Nike or an Adidas or somebody like that reached out to me, I would really have to see what was there in order for me to say, okay, like, I'm going to also do this in addition to Lululemon. And not that they wouldn't allow me to do that because I'm free to do that. But I think yeah. about like, again, long longevity, loyalty, loyalty is important to me. So when I say a small but deep bench, I, I mean, like, be intentional and mindful about who you partner with and think mm -hmm. about the depth of the relationship that you can have with them. In a company like Lululemon, I have already become an ambassador, modeled clothing and gotten paid for it for my talent and time, done trainings internally, held events that were sponsored by, gotten donated materials, mats, gift cards, whatever. And there's and I have plans to do many other things. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at what is the depth of the things that I can do in this one place versus running around choose wisely and then build the relationship because that's, that's going to have, that's going to sustain that's, that's, that's sustenance over time versus just a one drop. And I just, I just yeah. believe in that. I love that. I, I, and I think that's brilliant advice as well. And it's kind of counter to, you know, the social media e 
ethos, which is kind of disposable. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, you know, let me pop this, let me take a selfie of, of myself and this whatever, and it's on to the next thing. So I think that's it's short-sighted thinking. Yeah, it's short-sighted thinking. And if you think about it's like lifetime value of of a relationship or lifetime value of a customer, right? Right. You're creating a longer relationship where over time you build trust and it just becomes easier to interact over time. So I, that that's that's amazing. I, I really appreciated your candor um, about just entrepreneurship and your journey, right? So I saw this piece on IG and your your Instagram game is uh, unreal, but it oh, was thanks. your five best tips, right? I thought they were all really on point. But one thing that I noticed that's a little bit different than, you know, the run of the mill advice was you said, become a, an authority or a, um, I can't remember the exact words you used, but it was like talking about localization, like become an authority yeah. and a part of your community where you live. And, you know, in the digital age, I think sometimes that's overlooked, right? Like yeah. everybody's looking at these tools that'll help you, um, distribute whatever you're doing everywhere, but there's these opportunities locally. Like you mentioned loyalty, right? Like loyal, yeah. like loyal to your soil, right? Like, Come um, on. right. Like there's, there's something to be said for that. And I, I noticed that and I thought that was really interesting and really sage, um, business advice. So mm. if you don't mind, like talk about, you know, maybe what the five tips are, if you remember them off the top of your head and, Especially that local, that local piece, like being an authority physically contributing in your community in a tangible way. Like talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I'll have to look up that post. But um, as far as that goes, you know, that was number one on my agenda when I was coming up. My thought process was the following. If I become the go-to person in my city for what I do, then I get the receipts to go digital. So what does that mean? If I host a yoga class at the park and 60 people show up and I have a picture of that, that I can post to social receipts, mm -hmm. okay, people are showing up to her classes. If you are not in a place where you can show up to that class, you are wondering what I'm up to, where you can find me, how you can attend a class. But this was, the main thing was this, you know, like being able to co collaborate with local businesses. I started getting emails. You know, you never know who shows up to those classes. I started getting emails. Hey, can you do a training here? Can you do a training for Black Infant Health? I did a collaboration with the, with the restaurant that was Black-owned for Afro Yoga Brunch. Boom. That was wonderful. Mm. I'm teaching in the back of a, of a wellness salon and collective space outdoors. Bring my community there. I, I was able to create such a plethora of experiences for my community and show them it doesn't just have to be in a studio. And I think that that's, that's been a huge part of, of my legacy, too, is, is helping people understand, like, you're not limited to this one way of doing this thing. You know, I, I've done yoga at, at the local art museum here, the Crocker Art Museum in Sacramento, which is the main museum. We've done sound healing yoga in there. For an entire year, we did that monthly. You know, so I think being rooted in reputation is, is hard to earn and easy to lose. Mm -hmm. And so I think I, I wanted that reputation. I wanted to be known for what I do and to become the go-to person for that in my city. And then I said to myself, if I can do it here, I have gained so much experience from that alone that I can translate that to another city digitally, whatever, because I have refined my skills in 
collaboration in hosting events, marketing and promotion, in uh, building those relationships and understanding how to how to speak that language and how to speak in the terms of mutual mutual benefit. Right. So there's many skills that you sharpen along the way when you do local collaborations and you never know who people know. So you don't know where an opportunity comes up. Right. If I hadn't done all those things locally and my reputation wasn't what it was, that that woman from Lululemon, an ambassador who I didn't even know, but knew of me. Right. You want your name to be in spaces that you haven't been in yet. And that happens when Mm -hmm. you build a strong reputation. And so, again, you know, you use the content of the things that you're doing locally to build your digital presence. And I love that. Then you're bringing the local people on digitally. So the same person who showed up to your yoga class also follows you on Instagram, also shares your stuff out, right? So you're, yep. you're, you're building off of a foundation and not just off of like thin air. And I tell people, you know, um, I have a mentorship program where I teach other yoga teachers of color about wellness entrepreneurship and, and how I did it and how I built it. And I take them through a process. And I tell them now in the COVID time, you can still collaborate digitally with local businesses. And I think people are missing that. They, they think because things are closed that, they, that there's no opportunity there. When, I, when everybody else sees closed door, I see open windows everywhere. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm looking at where's the opportunity in this. I'll give you another quick example. A company named Thistle out of the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Again, was looking at their feed. I was like, man, their food looks really good. It's a plant-based delivery service. I was like, man, the food looks really good. I saw that they were saying some, again, some genuine things regarding, you know, Black Lives Matter and all those things I loved, you know, that they were standing up. And I reached out and I was like, hey, are you guys still doing, you know, I had noticed that they did some wellness stuff in the past. And I was like, hey, I noticed you guys are doing some wellness stuff. Are you still doing it? And we ended up collaborating. And we did for the month of September, I held four yoga classes every week for them. And they donated $5 to a nonprofit for every single person that showed up. And I got paid in meals, which I wasn't tripping off because time is money. And so if I can have a nice, healthy meal ready to go and I don't have to worry about it and I can keep doing my work that actually generates income for me, that was a win for me. And and now when things open up, if I want to do an event and I'm like, hey, I want this many lunches or whatever for this amount of people, guess who I can go to because I've already built a relationship. Right. So, you know, that's how I look at it. I think localization is huge. Again, going back to longevity and relationship building, it's, it's, it's another it's another example of the same philosophy. I love it. So I um, probably in that same in that same post, I noticed that you had multiple like the, a common thread was multiple streams of income mm-hmm. and steady growth. Right. But I noticed that web design on the side was like the constant. So <laughs> yeah. tell me about tell me about, you know, your, your, clearly your marketing is really, really good. And um, thank you. The design is great and the functionality. Your stuff just really is very polished and uh, professional and the production value is high. So, you know, how much of this? I guess a few questions. How much of it are you doing yourself? All you know, of it. You mentioned a photographer. So. You know, do you have a team? But I mean, is it basically you just setting up everything? Where did you learn it? And how did you realize that you could apply it in the way that you have? Yeah, pretty much 90% of it is me. 
I do all the design. I do all the content. I do all the scheduling. I do all of the website design, all of the content, all my courses, creative direction. I also do. I do have a photographer now, which I had to wait a long time before I could afford. And when I finally was able to, it changed everything. And now I work with her exclusively. I now have a small team this year. I've gone through a few teams and that's a struggle for me. But um, I have I have a grant writer and I have an assistant. And that's all that I have. In 2012-ish is when I first started to quote-unquote design. My mom had, had was doing an essential oil business. And I was like putting her emails together and making them look good. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like doing the colors and all those things. I didn't know I was doing email yeah. marketing or design at that time. That's not, right. I, I had no concept of that. But I was doing that 10 years ago. And I've had a number of jobs over the years. So... You know, I started trying my hand at blogging 2013, 14, when I was hearing a lot about passive income and blogging was a mm -hmm. big thing. And I was trying to mm -hmm. figure it out. I launched probably four different blogs slash websites that were not successful. Yeah. But that was like my my first attempt in WordPress at starting to figure out how to design. I'm completely I'm a completely self-taught web, web designer and graphic designer. I just have yeah. a good eye and I'm creative. So you know, when Afro yoga came about, I had already been doing some of that for a while. And so the, you know, I use platforms like Canva and I don't use like a, Adobe suite and all that. I use Canva and I just get real saucy with it, you know, and over, over the years yeah. I've gotten really good at it and you would never know. I designed from blank, from a blank canvas now where I used to take old templates and deconstruct and you know, my design skills have elevated as I've just had more practice. Right. But yeah, I mean, just applying, you know, uh, the experience that I had and just learning along the way. My designs now look, oh my God, if you were to scroll down at, <laughs> in the very beginning, it's, it's night and day, you know. And, um, mm -hmm. and I tell people, leave that stuff there. You know, because let people see the growth, let people see the journey and don't have people out here thinking that you just arrived perfect because no, ma'am, you know, like there was a journey and a process to elevating everything to where you can see, OK, here's where the professional photos start to come in. OK, shit changed. The, the energy, the, yeah. the, the elevation was evident. Yeah. And yeah. so it's it's great for people to be able to see that and see your growth and see that you are serious about investing in your brand and you believe in it. So, you know, it was it was just sort of a natural process and I just got used to doing everything. I I'm talented in many different areas, so I just did it all myself. You know, and I still for the bulk of it do. And I I just again with the, with the value of the authenticity, I can't have somebody else write my captions. I can't necessarily have somebody mm -hmm. else create my content because they're not going to do it how I do it. It's not going to hit the same. And, and that to right. me is important. I think one thing, if you stick around for any period of time on my platform there, you'll notice that I'm, I'm very transparent and candid and open with my community. And I treat them like yeah. family. It's not, you're not a follower to me. You know, you are, you are a part of my community and that's how I treat people. Yeah. And I just, I try to show up every time when I, when I come to the gram, I try to just show up every time with something to add something of value, something that can help somebody, you know, and yes, the marketing game has elevated over the years. And I've had people who have been instrumental in that. But I think the best marketing is really just being yourself. 
being yourself and mm-hmm. letting people get to know who you are. They have that concept yeah. in marketing called no like and trust. If someone knows, right. likes, and trusts you, they will buy from you. I have seen yep. it over and over and over again. And so my my currency is in authenticity and to be able to show up as myself and, and people people love that. It's infused in the way I teach. It's infused in, in how I train my mentors. I talk to them like I talk to the homies. I talk to them just the same. Yeah. It's been a gift and I and I know that a lot of people struggle with blending the professionalism with, with who they are mm-hmm. and being not being overly personal and sharing too much, but you know, right. I know that people struggle with that and I'm just grateful that I've been able to find a good balance in that. Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, we were talking about it a little bit at the beginning of the conversation. Obviously, you are the shit, right? So we've we've already established that. But I mean, what are you dealing with on a day to day? Like being an entrepreneur, having Mm -hmm. seven different streams of income where you make all this stuff yourself. Like I've been there. I've you know, I can deeply identify with that. Right. Mm -hmm. So what is you know, what are the things that everybody always says, you know, life is not easy and it's hard to be an entrepreneur. And yeah, I you know, but what does that mean in real life? Like day to day, what's making you tired right now? What's the part of the story that is usually not on a podcast that people need to know about before they, you know, embark on this thing, right? I'm going to be posting about it soon, but there's ups and downs. You know, I think that somebody could come to my feed and look at it and think that I have I have it all together. You know, that I'm like a perfect person that like is always happy and always eating healthy and always doing yoga and drinking water and <laughs> I try to keep my self-care game up as much as I can, but for the last month, I've been tired and uninspired and trying to figure out what do I come on this platform and talk about right now? Mm-hmm. You know, your perspective, you come to the gram and you say, wow, her marketing game is on point. Like all of this shit is amazing. And I'm looking at it like, damn, is it hitting? Like, are people actually re- like, is this making an impact? I think that part of it is just, always wanting to to show up and make sure that I'm providing value is challenging because it's like, I got to be thinking about what are they talking about? What are they liking? Looking at the analytics. I know you talk, you have this in your manifesto too. Like look at the analytics, but take action. I love that. Cause mm-hmm. I resonated. Cause yes, you do have to pay attention to the analytics, but also like, you know, what, what needs to come out of you and be birthed. So there's a balance sometimes in that of like, what do I need to put out versus what do people need me to put out? There's so many things you have to juggle. And for me, you know, there is so much more going on than what is happening on the gram. Like me posting about whatever I'm posting there, I'm still leading trainings. I got yoga studios I'm offering trainings for. I'm meeting with my team talking about what does the next few years look like. I got somebody writing grants. I got a yoga retreat coming up that I got to figure out what to do with COVID. Mm-hmm. I also get sad. I also have my moments. I also cry sometimes. I also don't feel great sometimes. I also don't think I look beautiful sometimes. There, there's so many things outside of just the entrepreneurship that you have to deal with as just a person. Family shit going on. Yeah. I grew up in a military family. Everybody in my immediate family lives in a different state or country. What branch? Air Force. Cool. Smart. The grandfather, smart ones, dad, yeah. and the smart ones. Yes. My grandfather. Yeah, I was in the army. Okay. <laughs> okay. You didn't <laughs> yeah. quite make it. but you So I know. Too. I know for real. Yeah. <laughs> uh. 
you know, so I think yeah, but it, I hear you. it's the juggling of, of so many things. And, and I think too, for newer entrepreneurs, like realizing how much it is when it's just you content creation, you know, I'm teaching a class and I got to make sure I got my phone up so I can record it so I can post the content later. It's like, I think the difficult part is that you're always on, on some level. I hear a song and I'm like, Ooh, that would be great in a yoga class. It's like, it doesn't turn off sometimes. Yeah. And that can be really tiring because it, it all takes yeah. energy from responding to a DM or an email to thinking about content creation to the hustle culture and the grind culture will have you out here thinking that you can't take no days off. You know, that your competition yeah. is, you know, we always hear this when you're sleeping, your competition is working. Sure. For me, I think yeah. I, a big part of all of this has been reframing that. And black women, you know, you, you all culturally, you know, from mothers and, you know, there's just the next the higher expectation, you know, both external and internal. Right. So that's that's just highly stressful on a day to day basis. Yeah, it, it is, you know, and so redefining and reshaping that is is mm -hmm. what I'm always working on and, and finding my, I always tell people that I'm finding my balance in it all. Mm -hmm. And I have learned that there's ebbs and flows to my workflow. There's times where mm -hmm. I feel really energized and ready to give a lot. And there's times like right now where I don't feel like I have it to give. And I keep wondering why I can only sit on the couch and sit there and like, you know, and yeah. and that's all yeah. that I can do. I, I can't consume anything else. Have you been told you need a, a larger team? Yeah. Has it been suggested? <laughs> yes. And if so, what is your reluctance, right? Like, what is your reluctance? Is it is it you want to control? Or you feel like nobody else can do it the way that you would want it done? It has been just, num I guess, numerous disappointments. With with the people you were working with? Mm -hmm. I, had a, I had a social media intern in January. I was like, okay, I'm going to get a social media intern. All right. I got mm -hmm. one a month later. She had to resign because she had some issues. So I'm just like, or, you know, her workload uh, was yeah. just too much. And so yeah. it's like, it takes sometimes more energy to, to train people and to bring people on than it does to just do it yourself. Because just do you, it yourself. You don't know yes. how long they're yeah. going to be there. And then the people that I do have, I'm just like, God, please just let them stay for a while. I just also have a different level of drive and ambition and, and the way mm -hmm. that I, that I work is it has structure, but it's very open and flexible. I'm not the handholder type. So I don't know right. if that has been challenging for the people who have worked for me because I don't necessarily like to lay out a PDF blueprint onboarding and this and that and this. I just want to be able mm -hmm. to have a conversation when you tell you what I need and let's get to it, mm -hmm. you know? And I don't know if that works mm -hmm. for everybody. So I have just said, you know what? It's going to be certain things I'm just going to have to do myself. And when I can yeah. get when I can get the help, I will take it. I have people that I do pay. Yeah. And so I think it's just been just being disappointed or or feeling like, I don't know. I think it's just been dis disappointment of like, man, just feeling let down. And, and not because somebody necessarily did anything wrong, but for whatever the circumstance of just trying and it doesn't work and trying. And I've had I've go, I've had three different teams over the now. I'm now in my third team. Mm hmm. Yep. You know, I don't know. This is probably a conversation more entrepreneurs need to have amongst themselves because I do wonder, like, you know, what is it like out there? Because it, it's it's a struggle. And at the end of the day, I just be like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll just do it myself like I've been doing it. You know, I've I've lived that. And it's you know, it's uh, it's trial and error. People don't realize how hard it is to 
really build a cohesive team, mm-hmm. like even what traits you're looking for. And then sometimes it is, there, it's an extensive amount of work to train somebody because you have to have your own training. You have to have your own processes down, mm-hmm. right? Like right. I do a lot of auto- marketing automation and process improvement and stuff like that, right? Mm. And major part of the work is having, documenting yes. whatever it is you do. Yes. Because you can't, it's hard to take into account when you're doing it by yourself, there's this luxury of, you know, your brilliance in whatever way you're brilliant can kind of compensate for other shit where you can't really explain that. Right. You know, Michael Jordan may or may not be a good basketball coach, right? Right. Because you can't tell somebody to do... Come on. Some of the stuff that he was doing was fundamental, a lot of it, right? Mm -hmm. But some of it was he just, you know, just Mike. So, right? So how do you expect someone else to do that? And then uh, you mentioned, you know, work ethic and just, you know, how much you expect... Right. And probably the turnaround time you expected in. So it's not an easy thing to do. There's some things like I suggest find experts and pay them for their time. Pay somebody who's the best at whatever it is you need to know. Yeah. Pay them for the hour and then have some VA execute that document it and have the VA execute, you know. Mm. But this is another thing, too. Like, how is your business as large, whatever that means, as it needs to be for you or as you want it to be, right? Like Mm. you might, you know, what aspirations do you have to even, you know, like you, you don't seem like a person who is not ambitious, right? So, you know, do your, do your ambitions, does, does your structure allow for the ambitions you have, right? And how do you think about that stuff? How do you resolve that? Yeah. You know, I think that that's a great question. And, you know, at the moment, I run a six-figure business, which I'm cool with. And I've been able to, I have I have a lot of automation and semi-automated products uh, from lower yeah. range to higher range. And then I have my mm-hmm. corporate contracts, which are, you know, five figures. I'm doing good. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't necessarily, like, the, the, what takes the most time for me is the content creation for Instagram. Really, truth be told, that is the bulk of my time because it's where I cultivate the community and where a lot of my sales come from, whether they are people who end up joining the email list or people who just purchase directly. I know that my IG community is where a lot of my funds are are coming in. At the same time, there's always things going on behind the scenes, like I said, corporate contracts and different things. And I'm moving more in that direction now of offering trainings Mm -hmm. and different things like that. Mm-hmm. So my big thing has been in not repurposing and making and working smarter and not harder has been huge for me. So from automation, yeah. like my online studio, certain products and things that people can buy and they just get direct access. Those are systems that I had to set up last year that were high priority for me because I needed the space. So I was like, I got to do this yep. so I can have the space. And that's actually yep. where a lot of that came from is because when my team, the last team that I had sort of, fell through the cracks, I was like, if I'm not going to get another team, I need to have my systems working like they are working for me. Yeah. So I'm going to yeah, set up yeah, these yeah, different yeah. automations and things so that like if it was a secretary, you know, I'm going to set, yep. set up the system. Yep. So the systems are there and I don't necessarily Clearly, yeah. need a bigger team in order to do what I do. Mm-hmm. And the, the trainings and things, again, going back to the small but deep bench, Right now, I'm looking at where can I 
do the things that I have already done and the content I've already created, like trainings and things, but go with people who have a deeper pocket. So real. Yeah. Same offering, deeper pocket. What corporations and things can I start to do trainings for and stuff that's already proven itself? Moving from to, to B2B. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I have B2B stuff and B2B stuff is some of my some of my best paid work. So I'm like, well, shit, I just need to move in that direction because I have such a deep bench myself of content and offerings. The proof is yeah. there. I don't need to prove myself anymore. People no. know if you just go look, you're going to know what it is and what I'm about. So my value yeah. is already has been set. So now this is the fun mm-hmm. part where I can show up for 30 minutes and make a few hundred dollars for teaching a class. No, no question. Right. Or <laughs> so write a book, which you've at. done. Right. Yeah. I've seen I've seen books. I've seen, you know, a lot of things really well executed, though, too. Like, I think, um, you know, not everyone. Matter of fact, most people are, are not going to execute all the different things you've been doing as well as you have. Thank you. And um, the course is really ingenious, obviously, because you make it once and it continues to bear fruit. Correct. You know in perpetuity. So that's just really strategically. I live in Silicon Valley, um, right? So there's this ethos of growth, mm-hmm. right? How big is it going to be? Scale. It's not going to be a it's not going to be a $2 billion business in five years. This is not, so, you know, but in reality, <laughs> if you think about like, maybe, you know, what you're doing to me, right? as an outsider appears to be very satisfying, you know, hard, mm-hmm. right. Only scalable to a certain degree in terms of the stuff that you can do as an individual. Right? right. But still, it seems pretty damn great. Like you said, the money is there, you know, and you're not worried about that. You're doing well. So I think that's something that a lot of people need mm. to come to grips with because, mm. You know, putting a million in front of everything does not make it dope necessarily. Like there's plenty of people with million dollar businesses and don't bring home shit because their margins are jacked up. You've got a you've got a lean business with a few people that are, you know, may probably not even full time. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But you've developed the trust. You know, they're good. You got your process. And you might be, a, you know, I'm not we don't even need to talk to the specific numbers, but I'd rather be a five, have a five hundred thousand dollar business, you know, with with the with the 60 percent profit margin Come on. than a million dollar business. And I'm not bringing home I'm bringing home ten thousand dollars a year. Absolutely. So the how your business functions and what you actually want to do and being in touch with yourself is just so important. And it's clear that you have that. And that is attractive as well, right? Mm-hmm. It's attractive to potential sponsors. They know what it is you you are bringing to the table. But I do want to hop in on, on this tip really quick before you ask me the next question. And that is, I Please, do plan yeah. to be a millionaire. That is a fact. I do plan yeah. to be a millionaire. And I yeah. save I save about 70 or 80% of what I make. You, you keep your expenses low. Like, obviously, you're smart about how you're allocating your resources. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, I I do like quality yeah. things. I, but, I, you know, I didn't have a car for, like, the longest because I live in an area that's walkable. When I did, I bought a little $3,000 Prius. You know what I'm saying? Like, good on gas. Yeah. Yeah. I am I am still I hear you. Yeah. strategic about the things that I buy. But I do love nice things, and I will purchase them for myself. 
unapologetically unapologetically absolutely yeah a lot of things i buy in i invest in my health i just bought a juicer like you know i buy a lot of organic food i I really enjoy high quality foods yeah but like i save the most of my money and i think Mm -hmm. that that's something that a lot of people don't do and I'm, I'm really grateful to my boyfriend because he was the one who really, really drilled it in me. Four years ago, I was sleeping in my office on food stamps. Didn't have mm-hmm. a dollar. Didn't have a dollar in my bank account. Mm-hmm. Way different Angie now than, yeah. than, than, yeah. than that. And so I think the, the thing that I look for financially is freedom. That I can, I can take a year off and be good. I can take a whole year off and I'll be fine. You know? Right. And that's a lot the kind of, power. of freedom. There's a lot of power in that. Yes. You know, yeah. I can I can go put down a nice chunk of change on a house. Um, I'm not at the place mm-hmm. where I can buy one cash yet, but I'm working t- towards that. But, you know. Yeah. Well, where, where we live, you know, you see where we live. It's, uh, it's a big check. You know what I'm saying? It, it is. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I want that freedom. And so my next moves, I'm looking, you know, I'm start dabbling in the stock market and, um you know, trying to looking at the next possibility of a home investment. And like, I'm at the place now where I'm ready to invest what I have earned to make it bigger. I don't want to just be worth a million dollars. I want to have a million dollars plus. Right. Liquid, liquid, liquid plus, plus assets. Give me cash. Yeah. So we can, so (laughs) we can pay for some of these politicians to, to do it the way it's supposed to be done. You buy some politicians, buy the police force, buy the property, the land that it sits on, all of it. Black Wall uh, real power. Yeah. Real power. Real power. Man, Angie, this this was amazing. Like, and I we I could probably uh drag this on for hours just <laughs> out of my own greediness, but it's just been a pleasure to talk to you. And I let's let's do this again if you're yes, open to it. I would um, love that. Dope conversation. And let's figure out how we can work work together as well. I would love that. I'm very interested in some of the amazing, that amazing you stuff. About. Thank you. So Thank you. And where do people need to to contact you? We'll we'll, we'll throw your link up on the uh, up on the screen here. Yeah, but I know it's afroyoga.org, But correct. what else? Like, what else do they need to know? Afroyoga.org. You got the Black Yoga course. You know, if you're a beginner um, or you're a novice, yeah. like you said, like yourself, you're gonna get a lot of great information around comedic yoga, around uh, you know wellness practices during the revolution and Black Power movement. Uh, you're gonna mm. get comedic yoga practices and meditation and a, and a plethora of resources, I would go with the black yoga. That's a great course to get started, to get familiar with, with, with the wellness journey, particularly related to comedic. I have a mentorship program that's reopening for wellness entrepreneurs, aspiring wellness entrepreneurs that happens every quarter. So it's all on the website. And then um, Afro Yoga by Angie, A-N-G-I-E is where they can find me on the gram. And I post, you know, they get all the sauce over there. So. And it's really good. Like, definitely check it out. Like, it's a very good page. And I'm, I, I'm, I am admittedly not very social media engaged uh, myself, right? <laughs> but I'll tell you that I really appreciate and dig how you do it. And uh, there's a lot to be learned there. So I appreciate that. Again, just a pleasure. Thanks for, for spending the time. And uh, Yes, I appreciate you, Mr. Jones. Thank you so much. All right. I appreciate you as well. All right. Thank you. Peace and love. Peace. My name is Tahir Jones. I'm the founder of Suit and Artist. And if you want to find out more about how to harmonize creativity, commerce, and culture, hit us up at suitandartist.com or at suitandartist on your favorite social media platform. Peace and love. Hope to see you soon.